There is a commercial on TV, obviously, and you may have seen it. This lady comes on and she says, I wanted to know who I was and where I came from. And then, of course, for a fee, you can get on one of these websites to find out your ancestry, but it's, it's one of those commercials. But you know, as New Testament Christians and children of the living God, we need to be a lot more concerned, like the Apostle Paul was, with where we currently are and where we're going. Where we are and where we're going. Yes, it's important to keep in mind where we came from. Paul never forgot that. He repeated it many times. But again, as children of the living God, we need to be more concerned with where we currently are and where we are eventually going. Please take out your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We will see this in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, reads as follows. Even the Apostle Paul, writing to our brethren in the first century Church of Christ in Philippi, said, not that I have already attained or am already perfect or perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was Paul saying? He said, I am concerned with where I'm going. I am always looking forward. I'm pressing on toward that goal. I got to forget and leave some of that baggage and some of that negativity and some of that stuff behind me. And I got to, I've got to look forward to heaven. That's where I need to keep my eyes. He went on to say in verses 20 and 21 of that same exact chapter, the following, he said, for our citizenship is in heaven. See, Paul was concerned with where he was going. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He said, you know what? My citizenship's in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. I'm keeping my eyes on that goal. I'm looking forward. I'm more concerned with where I'm going, where I am and where I'm going. Tonight's sermon is an idea that I got the general idea from somebody else's website, but the point is that I want us to consider is who you actually are, who you actually individually are, no matter who you might think you are, in the eyes of God. In other words, I want us to consider tonight how God sees you, not how you see you, but how God sees you. That's important, right? Sometimes we live in this fallen world and we get so, so depressed and, and, and so unworthy, and we should feel unworthy compared to Christ. There's not a one of us that compares well to him, obviously, okay? That's not what I'm saying is that we shouldn't think about that, but how does God view you? How does God look at you when God sees you? Who does God say you are? Not, to, not who do you say you are. Who does God say you are? Number one, God says you are unique. 
you as an individual are unique. He goes through this talking about spiritually who we are in several different places, Romans 12, 4 through 8, Romans 14, 1 through 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 30, talks about individuals and what makes them individuals, but you are unique in the eyes of God. Have you ever considered this? You are as unique as your DNA and your fingerprints are unique to you. I don't know why God gave us fingerprints, Bible doesn't say. But you know what? I'm reminded by my fingerprints that I'm unique. I'm different from every one of you and every one of you is different from me. We are unique. Not only are you special and unique among humanity, you, you, each one of you, all of you, you were created by God, both for and with a specific and unique purpose. Did you know that? God created you with a unique purpose. You know, this is one of the tragedies. Our, our young people hear about Darwin's theory of evolution as if it was fact, but here's one of the downfalls, one of, besides the fact that it's not true, one of the other downfalls of Darwin's theory of evolution is this. It devalues the unique purpose for our lives. Darwin's theory of evolution devalues us and it devalues the sanctity of human life. It does that by convincing ourselves that we are just simply, we came from mud slugs, okay? <laughs> we came from mud slugs that crawled out of a swamp, somehow got the ambition to crawl out of the swamp and somehow became monkeys that somehow turned into us and so we're just evolved from a mud slug so we really ain't worth much anyway. Yay, go us, right? Good purpose to be here, right? That's what evolution does. It devalues the fact that we were made uniquely, we were made specifically to a very unique purpose. But if you devalue human life to just something that evolved from mud slugs crawling out of a swamp 20 billion years ago, then it's easy to see where our society, based on that, takes human life so frivolously, why people take others' lives, whether it's the lives of the unborn, the lives of old folks, or the lives of their next door neighbor. Human life has become cheap and unvalued because it's all just, you know, just happened to happen over billions of years, just, you know, the right slug crawled out of the right muds, mud, mud at the right time. But you know, that's not what God says. Turn to me in your Bibles to Psalm 139. God says you are unique. You were created with a very special, specific purpose. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. You are unique. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13. The psalmist speaking to God says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God had a purpose. 
Even before you, you, were, you, were, you were sewn together, as it were, even before you, you came together, when, when you were made in secret, as it says, the, the substance being unformed, God had a plan for you. This is all the days of your life, God says, I had a plan before any of those days happened for you individually. Not only were you originally physically created with a plan and a purpose, but if you have obeyed the gospel, if you're here tonight and you've been baptized into Christ and you have obeyed the gospel, you are also recreated with a very high and noble specific purpose in Christ Jesus. You know what that purpose was? It was to glorify God and also what we see in Titus 2. Much nobler purpose. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Look what it says. Titus 2, 11, if you've been recreated, you have a very special purpose. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Did God have a purpose for you when he saved you? Yes. God had a very high and noble purpose and calling for you. Your life matters to God. Your life is special to God. That brings us to the second thing God says you are. In addition to being unique, God says you are special. I want you to think, every one of us in this room, so, some of us just don't feel all that special some days. You've got to understand in the eyes of God, you are special. You are special. And I could point to every one of you. In God's eyes, you are. You may not feel it. You may, oh man, I'm just this. God says you're special. Now, who are you going to trust, you or God? <laughs> God says you are. God has always regarded those who would choose to love and trust him, those who would listen to and obey him, as extremely special. If you're somebody who trusts God, you're extremely special to God. Does not it say in Titus 2, 11 through 14, particularly verse 14, he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own what? His own special. Why are you special? special because you trust God and in his eyes that sets you apart it's not the only place we see it please note the following text God has always said those who would love and trust him are special to him listen to this text God says now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me isn't that awesome for God to say, you will be a special treasure to me, what is, you know, you know, you try to buy something at Christmas time for the person who has everything, or you try to buy something for somebody who's got everything, you can't think of anything. God can speak anything into existence that God wants to speak into existence, and yet God has something that's a very special treasure to him, it's you. That's incredible, that's mind-blowing. Let me read the whole verse. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. 
For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And a third place that God says you're special. Listen to this text. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. That's your part. Listen to the rest of the text. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you, you, to be his special people. Just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise and name and honor that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God just as he has spoken. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 16 through 19. Spoken, yes, to God's Old Testament people, Israel, yes. But they were special to him. Why were they special? Because they listened to him, because they loved him, because they'd obey him. That's always been special to God. It's not just his Old Testament people, it's his New Testament people too. Turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. You are special. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Man, you stop and think about this, you get your mind around it, you think, Here's God in heaven who can speak anything into existence he wants. And God's got this list. Just picture this. God's got this list. And this list says on top of it, my special people. And you're on that list. Isn't that incredible? Look at the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Speaking to Christians. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here comes our phrase, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but you are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have. Listen, I'm not preaching this sermon tonight so everybody gets puffed up with pride. I don't want anybody to get puffed up with pride. There's not a one of us in this room that's worthy of that kind of love from God. There's not a one of us that deserves to be on his special list. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This sermon's not about puffing people up. But some days, we all have those days, right? You've got to understand, when the devil beats you up and the devil tells you that you're worthless and you're, you're pointless because you're weak and you've fallen again and God doesn't love you and, and, and you can't possibly mean anything to God, you have got to understand how God sees you. You've got to understand that you are unique, that you are special to him. Even when you fail, God doesn't want you to fail. I don't want anybody to fail. I don't want to fail. But despite my best efforts, when I fail, God still loves me. And that's what drives me not to make those same dumb mistakes again. But we need to understand that to God, we're special. Did the father keep waiting for the prodigal to come over the horizon? The prodigal made some dumb mistakes, but his father still loved him. What did he say when he came back? Came to his senses, came back. The father celebrated. How wonderful it was to have his son back. You've got to understand what God says you are. Not only does God say that you are unique and that you are special, but that you are precious. 
Been a long time since somebody called some of us precious, right? I mean, I can see calling Hannah precious, you know, at her age, but, you know, some of us probably haven't been called precious for a while. God said you are precious. Look with me in your Bibles. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4. Again, we'll start out with those in the Old Testament whom... Listen, who listened to God and, and what he said about them, and then we'll, we'll take it to the New Testament and we'll expound on it some more. But in Isaiah 43, 1 through 4, what he says to his Old Testament people who would listen to him is this. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine, God said. Verse 3. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious. God says you were precious. In my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you, God says. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Get, get, get an understanding of this text. God's Old Testament people, God says, you're so precious. I'm going to give people for you. You're that precious to me. We know the Old Testament, when you move into the New Testament, it takes everything to a higher level. We understand that, right? The book of Hebrews is about the fact we have a, a better sacrifice, we have a better relationship, we have a better worship, we have a better mediator. Hebrews is about we have it better in all these respects than they did. And listen, God says in the Old Testament, he says, you're precious. You're so precious, he says to his people, that I'll give men for you. God didn't give a man for me. He gave his very own son. You want to talk about precious? You want to take precious to the next level? You were so precious in the sight of God that he didn't give men for you, Isaiah 43, 1 through 4. He gave his son for you. That's how precious you are. If God said to them, you're so precious, I'll give men for you, and then he turns around and he puts his son on the cross for us, how much more precious does that make you in God's eyes? Oh, you're precious. God loves you so much. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he did what? He gave his only begotten son, not just someone, but his own son. You know... When we watch some of these athletes on TV, one pitcher in the World Series, it was said that he was a free agent at the end of the year and was talking about some of the money he was expected to make, and if you figured it out, it was 30 million a year or more, probably. 30, how many of you know exactly what 30 million dollars looks like? Stop and think about, some of us it would take over 300 years to make that kind of money at a really good paying salary now. Think about it. And not only $30 million a year for like a five-year contract is $150 million 
dollars. That's just unthinkable. And, and, I, and I said, and I've said this for years, I, I've said it when they signed some of these athletes, no person is worth that amount of money. You agree? Nobody's worth 150 million over five years. That's ridiculous. But then I stop and think, you know what somebody is actually worth? Whatever somebody else is willing to pay for them. That's what somebody's really, legitimately, if somebody's willing to pay one of these athletes 30 million a year, then to the person who pays that price, they're worth it to that person. Is that not correct? God said, you are so precious. I'll tell you what you're worth. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's how precious you are. What you are worth to God is what he was willing to pay for you. Every one of you. I'm standing here and I'm getting those, you know those goosebumps that kind of go down your back at times? Get your mind around this. How precious are you to God? You're worth whatever he was willing to pay. Jesus Christ is what he was willing to pay. And it is those who truly realize how much was given for them and are fully humbled by what was given for them that God says, oh, you are so precious in my sight. Not only does God say you are unique, that you are special, and that you are precious, God also says you're incredibly important. Some days, you know, if we don't, we don't have our name on the door, we don't have all these letters after our name, or if, if we're having a bad day, we don't feel all that important, but God says, I'm going to tell you, you are so important. You're not just unique and special and precious. You are so important. Look in Romans 8, starting at verse 31. How important are you? And, and, you know, in our country, we have a terrible, terrible time, awful numbers when it comes to teen suicide. I'm just going to spit it out and say it. We have this awful number of teens that take their own lives because they get to this point where they don't feel as though they matter. They don't feel as though they're worth anything. They don't feel important. They don't feel loved. They don't feel, they feel worthless. No wonder if they think that, you know, their ancestors crawled out of a mud swamp somewhere. They're just here through happenstance. I'm not here through happenstance. I'm here because God created me. And I'm in Christ because God loved me enough to give his son for me and that makes me worth something. God says you're important. Oh, you are so important. Look how important you are. Romans 8, 31 and following. Look how important you are. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You're so important. God is for you. He gave you his son for you. He, verse 32, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You don't think you're important? You're important enough for Jesus to die for you. That's how important you are. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's he who condemns? You're so important to God. He's going to give you everything else because of what he gave you in his son. It is Christ who died, verse 34. Furthermore is also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Not only are you so important he gave his son for you, you're so important that Jesus Christ is living today to intercede for you. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the throne of God, and the reason he's there, he ever lives to make intercession for us, 
because you're so important to God that when you sin, when you through your weakness sin, you've got an intercessor right there. Isn't that incredible? Sitting right there, whose blood's covering that sin. That's how important you are to God. He lives to intercede for us. Therefore, you're this important, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword, any of those things that I go through, are those strong enough? Does God lose sight of me? Am I so unimportant that, that, that I'm gonna lose God's love when I go through these terrible things? No. Verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved him. For I am persuaded, Paul writes, then neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's how important you are to God. There's nothing you can go through that is bad enough to rip you away from God. You can walk away, but God's going to love you through the hardest of times because you're that important. That's what God says. Not only does God say you, you are unique, you are special, you are precious, and that you are incredibly important, but God says that you are loved and cared for beyond your ability to even begin to understand. You are loved beyond your ability to even begin to understand or to comprehend. Some of you may have a real vivid imagination. Some of you may be able to imagine a lot, but you know the Bible says in Ephesians chapter three, let's turn there, I'd rather turn there. It's a wonderful passage. Ephesians three, look at verses 14 and following. You are loved beyond your ability to even begin to understand. That's what God says. Ephesians chapter three, begin following along in verse 14. Paul said, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, watch this now, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Do you see the play on words? He said, I want you to begin to know how much God loves you, something that you can't possibly know. I want you to know the unknowable. I want you to figure out the unthinkable. I want you to understand what you can't possibly comprehend. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. God says you're loved beyond your ability to even think. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, I'm not going to turn there, but in Romans 5, 1 through 11, that's a passage that tells us, you know, God proves his love for this in, the, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For maybe somebody dare to die for a man, maybe for a good man, but God demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You want to talk about love? God says you are loved above your ability to even begin to think. I love the old illustration because it is so true. 
Probably you've heard it, but I want to close with it. You grandparents in particular will understand this. That if God had a refrigerator, your photo would be on it. If God had a wallet, we'll change that to smartphone today, but if God had a smartphone, your picture would be in it. God sends you flowers every spring and a new sunrise along with his great mercies every morning. Remember Lamentations? His mercies are new every morning. He who could simply speak into existence anything he wanted, don't, don't miss that, anything God wanted, he could speak and it would be done. And that being, that creature, wanted you to choose to be with him so much. He could do anything, but he wanted you, and you, and me, and I still don't know why, really. But he wanted you, and you, and he wanted you with him so much that he who could speak into existence anything sent his son to die for you. That's incredible. God says, you are unique, young people, don't let the world ever convince you of anything else. You are unique. You are special. You are precious. And you are loved more than you'll ever be able to understand. In addition to God saying and showing that you are all of those things, God also says that if you are in Christ, you are chosen, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. You are forgiven, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. You are empowered, Philippians 4 and verse 13. And you are a new creation, 1 Corinthians 5, 17. In other words, if you're in Christ, you're family to God. That's what God says you are his family and a fellow heir with Christ Jesus, for whom there can be, and I love this, for whom there can be no condemnation. Isn't that awesome? No condemnation for those in Christ, Romans 8 and verse 1. Tonight, are you in Christ? You're not unless God says you are. <laughs> this whole sermon was about what God says you are. You're not in Christ unless God says you are. And God says you are only if you have been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So again, I ask, are you in Christ? If you're not, why not? How can you say no to a God who loves you above your ability to understand because you're so unique and special to him? Tonight, if you're not in Christ, you need to be. He can baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe you're somebody who's here tonight who's already done that and just having trouble getting your mind around how much God loves you. You'd like the prayers of the saints. Like Paul said in Ephesians 3, he prayed that those, he prayed that those saints there would get a better understanding and knowing of the God whose love they couldn't possibly know the fullness of. You need people to pray for you tonight to open up your heart to better understand the love that God has for you and how precious and special and unique you are in God's eyes? We'll pray for you, but finally, do not leave this building tonight without understanding how special and incredible you as an individual are.
to Almighty God. If you have a need, please come to the front while we stand and sing.